we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. If you're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. Scott Frost can't get a break. Why, it's no longer bad luck. Harbaugh makes a decision that seems really like not making a decision and a penny for your thoughts and getting a nickel's worth in the backyard brawl and some other Thursday night brawls. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, August 29th. Reese Davis with you along with Pete Thamel as always. And Pete, for years, Clemson got very upset with anyone who would say that uh, finding ways to lose big games would was called Clemsoning. I now contend that Clemsoning is playing in big games and often winning them. Husking, on the other hand, for corn husking is finding creative ways to lose. Fumbles being ripped away. Fine line between being daring and being a dunce. And, uh, you know, all of those things that we saw on display in Dublin where free beer was flowing and was probably much needed uh, by the children of the corn who made that long journey to watch their team lose the way they always lose. What a, like perfect bacchanal to to open the season that that we saw on Saturday. You had literally like the internet crash at the stadium, fans lining up like like, you know, like they were busting out of Noah's Ark to get free beer and just a gross negligence mis- game mismanagement by Scott Frost. I uh, I have a request into ESPN stats and info for in the last 10 years, how many successful onside kicks happened in the second half of games where a team led by more than two scores. I would think there's been less than five in the last 10 years, at least for power programs. Can you think of one Reese? No, but I I will say, uh, I will say that the first thing that comes to mind for most people is that this is one of those good coach, bad coach, good coach, bad coach thing. Like that college basketball coaches talk about with a game winning shot on the way. If it goes in, you're a bad, you're a good coach. If it misses, you're a bad coach. I said that right, but you, you get the drift. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me of the praise that Nick Saban got for the onside kick against Clemson in the 2015 National Championship game. But the difference is this. The lead wasn't as big, and Saban, two things happened. Saban, Saban felt as if they needed to steal a possession because they were having trouble slowing down Deshaun Watson and Clemson. And the other thing was they had noticed a a fault, a massive fault in their kickoff return unit. And they felt like it was a really, really sound gamble. Now I'm sure that they didn't just do Nebraska, didn't do the kickoff, the onside kick willy nilly, but it was unnecessary. This is one of those things where when you have a lead like that peak, you look at that and you go, why am I going to do anything that might breathe life? into someone that I have on the ropes. After that onside kick, they got three first downs. Three times they went three and out. They threw two interceptions. It was as if they sat there and knew from that moment that the anvil was plummeting off the cliff and they were Wiley Coyote and they were about to take it right on top of the noggin. And they played that way. And that's what's what's wrong at Nebraska. 
long and short, all you can talk about disorganization within the staff. You can talk about, you know, lack of discipline in certain situations. They, they wait for something bad to happen. And I don't, I don't know of any other way to fix it. And I hope he does fix it, but I don't know of any way to fix it other than a complete change. I hope I'm wrong. It's only one game, but they're five and 21 in one score games. It's ridiculous. Let me posit this theory. A lot of coaches were buzzing because I ever been sitting home Saturday. A lot of programs had that day off. Everybody's watching that game. So let me posit a theory about why Scott Frost did that. So he's watching Mark Whipple call a completely different offense than he's ever run. Right. Uh, you know, he obviously ran the, he ran the offense at Oregon. Um, though I don't think he called it chip called it. Um, uh, no, I think he did call it when Helfrich was the coach. Anyway, yeah, yeah, he I ran think his he, own. when Mark was the coach, I think he did. Yeah. Yes. So he ran a really successful offense at Oregon, obviously unbelievably successful at UCF and ran and called the offense at his alma mater. Essentially changes <laughs> are made. Whipple comes in and Scott Frost and, and uh, I give uh, Heward credit. He pointed this out on the broadcast. Uh, it was a great broadcast. He and Jason Benetti on Saturday. He said like, Frost looked anxious on the sideline because he didn't have as much to do, right? If you're used to calling the game and you're a head mm -hmm. coach mm -hmm. and you stop calling the game, you have, you know, again, you're not bored over there picking daisies, but you got some time, right? So the theory is this, Reese, his ego watching his team have success in an offense that wasn't his in a game being called not by him felt like he needed to interject himself into the game. Now, is it a short attention span? Is it actually leading with ego? Is it, I'm going to save my job in one fell swoop? I have no idea. Like, I'm not that deep in Scott Frost's head. But clearly, that decision was not made with sound logic. It was not made trying to win the game. And it's very easy to deposit the theory that he said, you know what? Forget this. I'm going to win us this game and go mm -hmm. home from Ireland, the, the conquering hero. And you know what? Had it worked we probably would have been saying that about him. I think that's a great theory because uh, to pretend that coaches don't have egos, especially <laughs> relatively young coaches. I mean, and we all know they have egos, but in terms of calling the game, having an impact on the game, um, you know, the, the, the criticism of Nebraska has been that they don't have the killer instinct. They can't deliver the knockout punch. So here's an opportunity he thinks to do it would really you know, I even felt like uh, that Pat Fitzgerald was way too conservative on a couple of third down calls over the course of that game. But as it turns out, you can you can posit this theory that he was like, well, if we just don't make some awful gaffe, eventually they're going to hand it to us. And that's sort of what happened. Did you see, you, you know, all these theories are great, but the real answer to this, uh, Pete, you know this, it's the curse of Bo Pelini. I mean, did you see on the internet the thing that Scott Frost could go on a 50-game winning streak and still have a worse record than Bo Pelini did at Nebraska? That, that is amazing. shocking. That's yeah. shocking. Yeah. The, the number is Bo Pelini never, never won less than nine games. Since he's fired, Nebraska won nine games once. I think it was, I think it was Mike Riley. It um, was Mike Riley. Yeah. Let me explain. You can't it. spell Pelini without four L's, they used to say. <laughs> <laughs> Let me deposit one more uh, theory to accentuate a great point you just made about Fitz. Um, 
so much. So we love college football, right? And the, from the moment the season ends, we can't wait for college football to start again. And sometimes I think we get a romanticized version of college football in our head. And the sort of just the typical opening week gaffes, just sluggishness that you, you saw in all these different games we watched in week zero reminded us of this. So much of college football is not losing the game. You cannot lose the game. And Pat Fitzgerald, they were like the steady Eddie, and they did not lose the game. Now they weren't perfect, and they had some they had some bad moments, and he settled for some field goals. He coached that game almost like an NFL coach, Reese. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yes. He was gonna just yes. he yeah. he was he was just going to we're gonna stay sound and we're not gonna lose. And and like now, did did he predict that Nebraska would explode so fantastically? No. Um but I really think so much of college football, as we dive into this unbelievable slate this week, is like there's an old joke. Uh, I used to have a, a boss who'd tell me, lay low and don't make the big mistake. <laughs> and that's so much of being a successful college football coach. Laying low, don't make the big mistake. And if you do make the big mistake, now, Scott Frost owned it. I give him credit for that. But he also, a bus isn't even enough that what he threw Mark Whipple under for not being creative enough in the second half. Mm-hmm. Like he threw him under a dump truck with a crane on top of it with another bus on top of it by, by just, I mean, he's, here's this guy who he seemingly wasn't that excited to bring in an OC. Right. Mm -hmm. And immediately after game one, they were fantastically successful in the first half. Casey Thompson looked like a world beater. It was like, Whoa. And then, you know, but look, it's college football adjustments were made. And Casey Thompson looked a lot like a guy who struggled to win a starting job at Texas in the, uh, in, in the second half. And him throwing Whipple under the bus for not being creative enough in this league, in this league, you need to be, it was sort of like, not only like the ACC caught some shrapnel too. Like they weren't creative enough in the, in the last league that you dominated last year in this league. I just thought it was really just, there was just, you could, I, 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 if you are a talk show host in Omaha today, you have to be so grateful. You have to be like, taking six cups of like coffee and just be like jittery with excitement for all the, all the gifts Scott Frost gave you to talk about. You are far more locked in to the various coaching situations in terms of the dynamics on staff. So if I've heard this, I'm sure you have too. There's already some dysfunction on that staff. There was beforehand. And now we'll see how they react to it. One more thing I'll say about this and our producer Taylor, perhaps he, remembers me saying this for a number of years, I called college basketball games with Bob Knight. And one of the, one of the tenants that coach Knight lived by is something that I try to live my life by. And that Scott Frost forgot in Dublin on Saturday, dumb loses more than smart wins. (laughs) Dumb loses more than smart wins. Can we check on Sarah quick? Nebraska fan Sarah, who's part of our podcast, Sarah Abbott. She had a Nebraska hat on last week. She was bursting with optimism. Like, could could we could you offer us a portrait of your crushed soul, Sarah, for, 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 for our podcast here? It was a dark day. It was a really, really dark day for Give me. Give us one portrait of the darkness. Th- that's why she texted in the chain, too. It was a, it yeah. was simple. It's a dark day. Yeah. It was, you know, I was in Washington, D.C., just enjoying my time. And then I look at the TV and I see that onside kick and my heart just went into my stomach. My family group chat was blowing mm. up. My Grammy, mm. she was not pleased. It was a dark, 
dark day. What did your grandmother say, Sarah? A lot of bad words. Which, oh, really? you know, <laughs> for my <laughs> Grammy, the only time Grammy cusses is during football games. No, no I bet she cussed a lot more during the Scott Frost era than the Bo Pelini era, huh? Yeah. If, uh, if, well, tie, a tie. But, you know, with Bo Pelini, we didn't know what we had till it was gone. Oh, isn't it? Now, isn't that? Isn't that just a metaphor for life sometimes? You, you, you don't know what you have until it's gone. Weekend Review is brought to you by Eckridge Smoked Sausage. Find them in the refrigerated meat aisle at your favorite grocery store to create a one-of-a-kind sausage recipe. And at some point, you'll be saying, this smoked meat is getting it done. Eckridge, you do you. So, Sarah... You know, get yourself some Eckridge sausage. It'll make you feel better about the weekend. <laughs> tell Grammy to, uh, you know, tell Grammy things are going to get better because the worst thing that could have happened is that Trev Alberts channeled his inner Pat Hayden and dusted Scott Frost on the tarmac. Once they got back to Lincoln, that didn't happen. Um, so now you wait and see if they can find a way to recover from this uh, because the mental hurdle is significant now. And as someone pointed out, we try, you don't try to validate. I pointed this out, but you don't try to validate your predictions. And sometimes what we think we see is not really it. Every other year Fitz builds up Northwestern. They're pretty good. And by November, maybe this won't seem like the worst thing in the world, losing to Northwestern by three points, but the way they did it, uh, the way they did it, not good. Before we move on, we've got a couple of things going on at ESPN Podcast that we want to mention. First, 30 for 30 Podcast presents the longest game. In the spring of 1981, the Pawtucket Red Sox and the Rochester Red Wings met for a minor league game. Over the course of 33 innings, the two teams would make history. Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions, Present Always College Football with ESPN College Football Analyst Greg McElroy. McElroy's cranking out five episodes a week now that the college football season is underway. Listen to Always College Football wherever you get your podcast. So we've got a we've got a quarterback, we've got a quarterback indecision at Michigan that I want to touch on for a second, Pete. From Jim Harbaugh as they open, they, they have probably the easiest non-conference slate of any reigning Power Five champion. And things like this happen. You know, I'm not here to bash schedule stuff. Stuff Their happens. UCLA game, they backed out. Right. That's why, yeah. why it happened. So. Yeah. So they've got like Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn. So they're going to start Cade McNamara against Colorado State. And then J.J. McCarthy is going to go in the second game against Hawaii as the starter. Now, it's my understanding that McCarthy didn't clearly outplay McNamara in camp, which is what I would think would be needed if you're going to do this, because McCarthy's already getting in the game some. He has been, and he missed some time in the spring to deal with shoulder issues and, and so forth. But i tell you what this reminds me of, Pete. This reminds me of a kid in chemistry class, and he breaks out a big beaker. And he pours a couple of things in there and he goes, wonder what this is going to do. And it could be that he creates a bonding agent that makes Gorilla Glue look like nothing. Or 
he might singe his eyebrows off and peel the paint off the walls. This is this is messing with chemistry in a big way, it seems to me. I'm I'm not sold that this is the way to go, with the caveat being offered that obviously I'm not at Michigan practice every day. Nor am I. Uh, there was a performative aspect to this that I found interesting, Reese. Actually doing this is one thing. Announcing it and sort of trumpeting it as a topic for the next essentially three weeks is different. And it makes it, it makes me theorize, and again, this is just a theory I'm positing, that somebody's unhappy. Now, J.J. McCarthy <laughs> was a highly regarded quarterback out of Florida. He probably would have gone somewhere better than Michigan. And quite frankly, there's only seven or eight places better than Michigan, right? But he's, he's a little bit of a thin guy and he's a little bit of a slight guy. And that hurt him at the bluest of the blue bloods. So, but he's, you know, he's a guy who's progress. And look, all these quarterbacks have camps now. They all have active dads. Their quarterbacks are their own ecosystem. And rightfully so. They are the engines of a billion dollar business. So to me, this smacks of an appeasement of the McCarthy camp. And if I'm in the McNamara camp, it, does it, and, and again, this was right when I started, but there's a little like Colt McCoy, Chris Sims here, right? Now, mm -hmm. McCarthy wasn't Chris Sims, but it's like, look, that guy won you the Big Ten. You hadn't won the Big Ten in a long time. Mm -hmm. You hadn't beaten Ohio State with a full-time coach in a generation. Like, you, you, it, And McCarthy went in and cost him the Michigan State game. That There was some quarterback fumbling going on in that game. So I, I just think this is a little bit of a window into the modern reality where we are, that like, okay, let's make sure that JJ is happy. And this is a way to kind of calm everybody down and say, you're going to get your chance. We're going to announce on week zero, this really unique quarterback plan that like that, announcing that plan doesn't sound like it's the best thing for Michigan football. It sounds like it's the best thing to sort of keep the quarterback room together and avoid the transfer portal. Yeah, sure. You know, the one thing that I, you mentioned Chris Sims, Major Applewhite, with it being Michigan, to me, it smacked of Lloyd Carr and sure. all Michigan fans at the time, desperately wanting Drew Henson yeah. to be the quarterback. And they kept taking this quarterback out of the game, number 10 in Mason Blue, who kept moving the team down the field for touchdowns. A, a fellow by the name of Tom Brady. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying that Cade McNamara is Tom Brady. What I am saying is that when there's the other quarterback that the coaching staff is acting in such a way that would make you think they have some type of vested interest in him winning the job, that unless you have the mentalness of a Tom Brady to be able to block that out and just like, I'll show you, most people, most human beings, virtually all quarterbacks are now looking over their shoulder, or if they aren't, they're at least resentful because now you are doubting them. This is uh this has disaster written all over it. I wonder how coaches would feel if they said, "Hey, it's a competition. Go do your best. We're going to let we're going to let you call the play this week and next week. Hey, you coach Barry Bussmore, you come over here and you call him and then whoever it works out best for, that's who we'll go with. Wink wink Barry. We don't want you to go to Ohio State." You know, or I mean, We'll, met, we'll let Mark Whipple call the plays, and then Scott Frost will do something atrociously dumb to end his tenure. Is that basically what you're hinting at with the coaching analogy there? Um, well, maybe, so, maybe I have so. A, you know, that, that was what I was going to say. You know, and this is questionable in my judgment. Not I, I, 
have the greatest respect for Jim and, and I know he knows quarterbacks and all of that stuff, but uh, this is messing with chemistry could work out, could also be combustible, but it's not as bad as ex- trying to execute an onside kick up 11. So, yeah, I was at uh, Michigan and got a window. My senior year at Syracuse, Syracuse went out to Michigan and with Donovan McNabb and ran them into the ground. They won. I think it ended up being 14 or 21, but they absolutely went to the big house and ran Michigan ragged. And so Henson at the time was just like the, the difference with the McCarthy and Henson is Henson was the local boy. He was the number one recruit. He was the baseball legend. He was everything. And he got in in the second half of that game and people were wrapped. I mean, he was the the promise and the future. So to, to, to wrap this up, uh, cause we, we, this wasn't a memory lane segment. Um, I did a Sports Illustrated feature, Where Are They Now, Andrew Henson. He was a scout for the Yankees. And I spent uh, I spent a day with him. It was really interesting. We went and scouted a game, like in Clearwater or Tampa or something like that. And uh, this is the most amazing statistic that I've ever run across in sports. Drew Henson finished his Major League Baseball career with one hit. And he finished his NFL career with one touchdown pass. Wow. That's, that- I mean... Like to think about all the things that have to happen to do one of each of those, but only one. It's really remarkable. Uh, wonderfully nice guy. Drew Henson was really hey. humble. Uh, you know, made some money in the NFL. Jerry Jones tossed him a good cookie of a contract, traveled the world after everything was over and had, had great perspective. But yeah, that like, I just couldn't shake that out of my head. Like one touchdown, one hit. He was a very good, he had one like unbelievable year at Columbus. I think, Again, this is all off the top of my head. He, I think he like led AAA in home runs. My other favorite detail was, so the Yankees affiliate is in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And he would get booed every single time <laughs> he went to the plate <laughs> because college football is awesome. It, it is awesome. And you know what? He is the unfortunate other side when someone makes the comparison that I just made. Let's not forget this. First of all, that dude was a stud athlete. And when you're talking about the minuscule percentages of aspiring athletes and aspiring quarterbacks who are good enough to play in the NFL, Andrew Henson was, and good enough among the smallest of percentages of guys who actually make it to the major leagues. It's amazing. Uh, I was talking about this with a, with a friend of mine, a, a fellow, uh, you know, fellow, uh, dad who has a a college athlete sometimes things don't work out for guys and you can't really explain why drew henson's one of those guys uh it just didn't work out he was a great player i'm I'm delighted here he seems like a great guy you know he hit it he hit it a weird time and he also had the misfortune of being lined up with maybe the greatest quarterback ever to play the game while he was in college and nobody knew that at the time and you know it's an interesting. It's an interesting thing, but I do think I do think Harbaugh's playing with fire, and it seems like you agree with that. I I do, but it's interesting. Quite frankly, th- this is a very good Michigan team. It's also a bit of a boring Michigan team. Like I'm not excited to watch Michigan at any point for like the first month and a half of the season because they don't play anybody, and that's not yeah. necessarily that's not necessarily their fault. They have an unbelievable offensive line. They return almost everybody from the unit that won the Joe Moore Award. They've got two dynamic tailbacks. They've got a bunch of good skill back. They don't have Ohio State skill at receiver, but they have good skill like. The case for Michigan is a pretty resounding case when you factor in their schedule. I just wish they were tested. Um, yeah. And they were supposed to, I believe, they, I believe they canceled the home and home with UCLA 
because UCLA has an equally pitiful uh, non-conference schedule. Um, it's they do. just like, yeah, I think they have eight home games and I don't know how many of those I would attend if I lived in the greater Los Angeles area. I think if memory serves that UCLA plays uh, a majority of the football playing schools in the state of Alabama with yes. the exception of Alabama and Auburn. Yes, I think I actually think you are. Uh, I can't correct. I know Alabama State is there. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that, Martin, that's yeah. that's a that's a good game for them. It's an initiative type thing, and good for them, yep. and a good opportunity for Alabama State. Yes, but that was the hole that you see uh, that Michigan left. They had to yeah. fill. So, um, yeah, the band will uh, likely be the highlight that day. And yeah. uh, and they play yeah, the, it, and they play the Jaguars of South Alabama too. That's right. I actually think UCLA is going to be really good. That's a that's another topic for another time. But I just think like Chip loves laying in the weeds right now. He's got an identity. He's got elite tight ends. He's got a fifth year starting quarterback, which is something we could never even really say before this moment in college football. And uh, they've they can't be any worse defensively. They got they got a new DC. So I I I like I like it. And the schedule is unbelievably favorable. So I have no idea what like over under or anything like that is. But you say hey, I'd be shocked if UCLA was bad this year. Shocked. Well, they should. They play Bowling Green Saturday, yes. and then the two schools from the state of Alabama. Then they're at Colorado, and they play uh, rebuilding Washington. So they should be five and zero before before Utah comes to Pasadena and clobbers them. But um, <laughs> so I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, plays yeah. Utah is a better version of UCLA right now because yeah. they 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 Chip has built that kind of identity there. Like they're sort of like a smash mouthy Big Tenish team. Um, yeah. Utah is just a right now a more refined version of that yeah are, are you jealous of the fact that i'm going to be in uh the place that we grew up calling the big ketchup bottle watching the renewal of the backyard brawl i'm gonna be jealous yeah i'm gonna be jealous first of all i'm just really fired up for that game i'm really fired up for like the city of pittsburgh i'm fired up for Pitt, which is just a great program coming off an acc championship to have that kind of showcase uh I talked to Pat Narduzzi last week. He was like, this is his first time coaching the game. He's like, these people really hate each other. <laughs> yeah, that is what college football is about. It is not about South Alabama and UCLA. It is about people who hate each other. That is what like, the great building block of this game is. Regional rivalries fueled by hatred. And that is real in that game. Uh, the quarterback battle is fascinating. I don't know what the new stadium is called in Pittsburgh, and I don't want to know. I'm sure no, you're going to have to say it Heinz, on the air. It's, it's Heinz Field. Okay. The, bear, yeah, the Bear and I were talking about not really referencing it, but during the pregame show, just sort of randomly uh, putting ketchup onto a burger while we're sitting there. <laughs> from, you know, just, just to pay the homage. In the On the subject of them hating each other, those who might see our video clips, they see the jersey of uh, the great Mark May above sure. me. It, it was, you know, one from Mark's NFL jerseys rather than his Pittsburgh jerseys. But when we were partners on television, Mark told a story before a West Virginia Pittsburgh game one year when he played and the first time that they were going to Morgantown to play. And Jackie Sherrill, the coach of the yeah. Panthers at the time, uh, told, his, told the guys, he said, now look, you wear your helmets out of the locker room and you wear them into the tunnel and you wear them at all times on the sidelines, whether you're in the game or not, because they throw pennies at you. And then Jackie went on to say, do you know why they throw pennies at you? And the guy said, no, he said, because they can't afford nickels. Now, <laughs> okay. So Mark relays this story on the air and 
West Virginia nation, this was kind of, there was, there was some, there were message boards more so than social media. Sure. And West Virginia message board nation erupts. They're furious, right? A really rational subset, I'm sure. Yeah, West Virginia yeah. message board so, posters. So, uh, so one particular West Virginia guy who wanted to prove what he could, <laughs> what he could afford sent a FedEx box of $500 worth of pennies. <laughs> FedEx box now. So that is an amazing story. Yeah. So naturally they get there, but apparently they were addressed to ESPN. Now Mayday, if you know him and he's, I mean, I love the guy. We're, we're close as family. Mayday likes money now. And he said, that's <laughs> my money. Well, they, it wound up at the ESPN credit union. We never could actually find the actual pennies, but we knew they were there. Several years later, I can't recall at the moment where Mark and I were. This guy comes up to us, very friendly fella, and goes, I'm the guy who sent the pennies. <laughs> Amazing. 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 So, yeah. I hope you bought they, him a they, beer. They didn't care for the story, but it was funny. But you're right. They don't like each other at all. Yes. Yeah. We don't encourage throwing things. We no, we, we, we like to stoke hatred, but just yeah, no, no throwing things. That's not necessary. That's no. uh that that's not necessary. Well, we'll pick we'll pick these games right on the on the yeah. Wednesday pod. So yep. just kind of previewing them now. No, it's that that that's that's awesome. What's your setup gonna be in uh, in Pittsburgh? Do you have a little window into it? Um yeah, we're gonna I mean, I think we'll be on the field. I haven't seen exactly where okay. we'll be. It won't be the same level of setup for that you'll see in Columbus because it's just an hour show function okay. more as a, as a season opener slash pregame show, pre show. for okay. that. And we, obviously we'll peek ahead to Saturday and look at the other games on Thursday night, including a, a, another big 10 game, Penn state and Purdue. A lot of people really high on Penn state understand why, but this is a, this is a danger zone opener. Here, oh, think. so you ignored this on text. So I'm just going to bring it up on the air now. This okay. is the Joe Buck game. All right. Like five years from now, when we think back to the season opening, we're not going to remember who won or what happened in the game. We're going to remember this is the Joe Buck game. So Joe Buck, and I'm going to get the details wrong in this transaction, which is bad because my job is to get transactions right. Joe Buck came over to ESPN from Fox, correct? Correct. Okay. You're, you're, and, you're good so far. In order to negotiate the contract, ESPN gave Fox this game or a game that became this game. Is that correct? I, I Yes, that's my understanding. Okay. So for, forgive me. That, I'll leave that to John Orand and Richard Deitch and those who traffic in the, in, <laughs> exactly. in broadcasters. But exactly. I, I, I said on the test. Yeah, so are you trying to get on their podcast? No, I'm not. Trust me. Um, I, uh, I, I just, just, I just want to know, Reese. This is my question. If we were going to trade you, what kind of game would we get? I've got a no trade clause. Oh, come on, Taylor. What could we get? Do you think we'd get a, a power five game for Reese? Like, yes. what, what's what? Yeah, you, I think so. <laughs> dude, dude, a power five game. We're talking college football playoff national championship. Wow, but actually, Reese's, I don't Reese's a playoff game. <laughs> dude, they wouldn't trade me for a game. They get a whole they, they get a whole year of me versus three and a half hours. Come on. The the Joe the trade for Joe was like he was coming anyway. <laughs> so, I mean that was going to work out one way or the other, so they had to get something. So that's like one Joe's situation. I think is more like you know the major leaguer who's holding out. You know, like well, okay, we we've, we've got to we've got to get something. You know, it might end up being Penn State Purdue. 
right. Well, we we've established Taylor Reese's trade value, so that's uh, that that's that's it's good to it's good to. I'm excited for the game, by the way. I don't want to I don't want to diminish the game. I think it's a juicy opener. I agree with what Kirk said on the show on Saturday. I really feel like Penn State is primed for a, a, a breakout year with a healthy Clifford. There's been great early reports about Drew Alar, the the young mm-hmm. quarterback from Ohio, who's who's a Big, good-looking freshman there. I saw him a bit when I went through there in the spring. And the two freshman tailbacks are really going to be – that, to me, is the most interesting part of that game. How James Franklin – how much he trusts his two freshman tailbacks on that stage, on the road, you know, obviously must-win league game to start the year. And, look, they've they've recruited well at Penn State. They're still recruiting well. You know, how how do we see that flash on Thursday night? Well, one of the guys you're talking about is Nick Singleton, right? Correct. The yes. running back from, from Penn State. Um, he had like almost 6,400 yards in high school. It's almost the other side of the ball that I'm intrigued by, uh, Pete. And that's, you know, only I think Penn State only has four defensive starters coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, Purdue has to replace some receivers, have a couple of Iowa transfers in there, and Tyrone Tracy and Charlie Jones, who I, you know, is more known as return specialist. Depending on what you make of all these metrics during the uh, preseason when I was looking at stuff, Pro Football Focus has this measure called big-time throw rate. Basically, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know exactly how they calculate it. But it's well, that's Bill this week when he yeah, comes. Yeah, basically, <laughs> it's, throws, it's, it's throws that you've got to have the legit arm to, to put it in and put it in there perfectly. Aiden O'Connell led the nation, according to them. Interesting. Against top 10 teams. You know, and they they won a couple of top five games at the time last year. He averaged mm-hmm. like 432 yards a game, nine touchdowns, didn't throw an interception. Um, now, Purdue's defense was atrocious last year. So, you know, he had to make some big With Karloftis, by the way. Yeah, well, right. George yeah. Karloftis. There's another Karloftis. But, yeah, with George, yeah. who was yeah. first-round pick, really good player, you know, elite, elite, elite defensive end. Yeah. So, you know, I think, um, I think even though I agree with what you and Kirk think about Penn State, you know this. This has a real. This is a real trap to open yeah. on a Thursday night on the road against a team that can score. And when when you are replacing uh, some people on defense, and then you have Manny Diaz coming in with sort of the gangbusters, high risk, high reward type yeah. scheme. You know how how is that going to work out on Thursday night? Interesting. So I'm going to wrap, put a bow on the running backs. You mentioned Nick Singleton. So Nick Singleton was the Gatorade Player of the Year in Pennsylvania. It, I would never say someone's Saquon Barkley because he's at least a once a decade type back, I feel like, that we saw in college football. Um, from going through Penn State in the spring and talking to some of their staff this summer, Singleton in style. Again, I'm not saying that Nick Singleton is Adrian Peterson, but they feel like he is that style of back, that rare blend of power and speed. And they are excited about him. They're also excited about Katron Allen, who's 5'11", 211 pounds, and has a great nickname, Reese. Fat man. Uh, he He's from Norfolk. He played at IMG. And there's a lot of his game that the coaches there told me that translates actually. Like he's just as ready, if not more ready than Singleton, in part because he can block. And so don't be surprised to see two really talented freshmen. Um, now, we saw UNC's two freshmen on Saturday night both really flash in that uh, in that win over FAMU. Don't be surprised if if Penn State has two freshmen who flash, if not in this Purdue game, but very early this season. They are really excited about uh, about those two backs. 
Speaking of backs, you'll get to see Lou Nichols from Central Michigan. If you're not familiar with his work, led the nation in rushing last year. Chippewas going to play Oklahoma State. You know, I until I was sort of looking looking into this matchup, I'd sort of let it slip my memory the last time they met that ridiculous 2016 oh. game that the Mac officiating crew screwed up, gave the chips an extra untimed down, and they they won the game on a hail mary and a lateral. Yeah. Oh yeah, there, there are was... fans. There are fans at Oklahoma State. One one that I read last night who it's as if that game took something out of his soul and he wants to beat them like worse than he wanted to win Bedlam, or at least he wants to beat them in such a severe way. I think the phrase, I don't really know who it was. It was on, uh, you know, one of the fan side or some such thing wants to beat them in such a way that they consider giving up the sport at central Michigan after the game, <laughs> all based on what happened at the end of 2016 game. Yeah, well, great call on on Lou Nichols. The the scouts that I've talked to who kind of did their early camp rounds this year have him kind of pegged as like a top hundred guy, which for a Mac tailback is uh, is pretty rare. the The thought on Nichols is, can he do it without the two tackles they got drafted? So mm-hmm. that that'll be if Oklahoma State has some success on the edge with Derek Mason's uh, first year coordinator there as defense, it'll be it'll be pretty interesting. But yeah, Lou Nichols is kind of one of those small school guys that that that's worth getting excited about. The guy I'm excited to see in that game, Reese, is Jaden Bray, uh, Oklahoma State sophomore from Norman of all places. Jaden now Oklahoma State has just had an assembly line of elite receivers, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've just mm-hmm. if you look back at the at the last decade there. They have really churned it out, and they obviously play a style that you know is going to accentuate pass catching. Mike Gundy's not afraid to open it up. Uh, Bray is a Bray is a sophomore who the staff there really thinks is kind of the next guy who could be like a high end guy. He he flashed as a freshman, and that, like if you're looking for somebody that could break out on Thursday night, uh, Jaden Bray is one of those guys. Uh, they're going to be interesting on defense too, because the heart oh, yeah. and soul of that great defense. Last year is gone. Malcolm Rodriguez and a, a number of other starters, only four guys back who started last year. And Derek Mason, from what I understand, has is, is really tried to uh, adapt to their terminology as opposed to the other way around. But there's a, there are always changes, and it's not just the leadership change in terms of the coach, change in the personnel uh, makes you wonder if they will be as good. And their offense wasn't what we have become accustomed to seeing from Mike Gundy's offenses over the years and might need to be a little, you know, a little bit more explosive this year and a little bit more consistent uh, yeah. than, than it was last year. And, and by the way, I, I shouldn't, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, yeah, but no. I mean, that's how, how is Jim McElwade? I know he's back at practice. He had a seizure in the off season. How, how's he doing? Have you, have you heard? I, I was he told he's, to I was told he's doing well. I was told okay. he's, he's, he's doing well. I, I made calls on that a couple, couple weeks ago and, you know he's back. Obviously, McElwain, one of, one of the good guys. You hear news like that, your your heart jumps um, because that's just you know reminds you how fragile fragile everything is. But for, from what I understand, uh, he's uh, he's full speed ahead. Reese. So Oklahoma State, Central Michigan. There have been times over the years when the Cowpokes have scuffled a little bit in some of these early season games. So that might be might be one to watch. See if someone's willing to take the points on Thursday night when we make the picks on the podcast. On Wednesday. All right, I, I've sort of picked some of these Thursday night games. You got a couple more? That you feel good about? Excited to see? Uh, 
Yeah, I'm curious to see. Uh, you know, Tennessee just kind of it's been a it's been an off season of uh, of 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 robust hype there. I mean, people want Tennessee to be back, like almost in the same way uh, they want Texas to be back in, in in other places. And college football with a functional Tennessee, I think, is a little bit more of a fun place, right? That place really. It's been almost 20 years. I think they made one SEC title game over that time, something like that, since it's been rocking and rolling. And, uh, you know, God bless Josh Heupel. He can score points and score mm-hmm. points and score points. So, uh, again, I, I Mighty Ball State, God bless Mike New and those guys. Uh, they have a lot of new new starters. I don't think they're going to put up a fight in, in any – you know, in any in any kind of significant way, um, but I just think uh, you know, let's let, you know, let's see if Tennessee can let it rip full throttle um, in that uh, in in that way. Um, the other team that I'm curious to see that's in a little bit of a, a, a lower profile. Wait, can, can I hear, can yeah. I hear one thing on Tennessee yeah. before you yeah. go there? No, please, please. There's only one. There's only one thing that will clearly define whether that game is a success for the Big Orange. Mm-hmm. Cedric Tillman has a deal. He's the cookie monster this year. When he catches two touchdown passes in a game, Vols fans get two free cookies from Moonshine Mountain Cookies. Ooh. Now, these are supposed to be a, a culinary delight, the, the savory experience that just wafts through your senses. And <laughs> I'm telling you right now, do you have an NIL deal with them? That was like, I, I wish. Got me hungry. I, I'm, I'm right now <laughs> lobbying for Moonshine Mountain Cookies to send Pete and Pete and me some samples. Do you do you like sweets, Pete? Are you a guy? Do you I, like I will sweets? say I obviously like sweets. I would say that I'm not like a sugar guy, though. Like just nah, you get old and fat. Yeah, no, I know. It's it's pretty. Uh, it's it's pretty. It's pretty lame. Um, red meat, eggs, sweets. You're in good shape if you do. See, that. I like red. Uh, yeah, red red meat. And, well, uh, well red we're good. Meat we're competing eggs. for that. But I uh, let's let's bring Pete over to the to the light in terms of sweets. So I'm asking Moonshine Mountain Cookies, shamelessly asking. <laughs> Uh, to, I want to see if you're as good as you say you are. I don't know if you are or not, but everybody says they're really good. But anyway, Vols fans can go in there if Cedric Tillman catches two touchdown passes and they get two free cookies. So there you go. That is that is a great uh, that is great. I'm not anti cookie. I want to be clear about that. Good. I yeah, just, I, like I should hope I just, not. Yeah. No. I mean, I am I'm not I am, sure we could be sir, friends. Yeah. No. I'm I'm certainly pro cookie. I just like just my body can't it can't handle me being like pro cookie every day. So, yeah, uh, well, you know what? I shouldn't say we can't be friends because I mean, I love Pollock. He's, he's, he's my little brother that I never wanted. And, and he won't, <laughs> he won't, he won't eat cookies or anything like that. He didn't touch he's sugar, missing no. out on life. Yeah. He's missing yeah. out on life. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh he's also in really good shape too. So uh, <laughs> there's usually a, uh, there's usually probably a, a, a contrast or I'm not in really moderation. good shape. So moderation, yeah. well, moderation. That's, moderation that's, uh, that's very, uh, that's, that's very <laughs> fair. Um, what about the, uh, the debut of Mitch Griffiths for Wake Forest? Uh, I really feel like they're fascinating to me, Reese, when you look at Thursday night, certainly VMI probably not going to be the most robust challenge, but I don't know if there's been a more significant injury to a program in college football than Sam Hartman, uh, having his medical issue this, uh, you know, this, this summer, obviously we hope Sam the best and and hope he does get to return, um, in, in, you know, from a football angle, he's being replaced by redshirt freshman who like, I'd never heard of Mitch Griffiths before this, you know, he was son of a high school coach, uh, you know, really accomplished recruit, but certainly, you know, Sam was the identity of Wake Forest. Now Mm -hmm. the interesting part to me is 
he comes back with 10 returning starters. So if you're ever going to put a quarterback who's inexperienced in a position to succeed, it would be in that. And uh, I'm excited to see the return of Donovan Green, the Wake Forest receiver, who's the best athlete in their program and really a guy who missed all of last season with injury that people have been raving about there at camp in the spring. So don't expect Wake Forest to look a lot different, but we'll, we'll certainly just be curious how uh, Mitch Griffiths handles his first uh, his first moment under the lights. His brother, Brett, is also the scout team quarterback. So if you're at Wake Forest, you're seeing a lot of Griffiths balls being thrown around. Yeah, and after VMI, Vandy might be a little bit tougher the following oh, week yeah. than, we, than we thought oh, after yeah. that good performance in the islands on Saturday night. Then they get <laughs> Liberty and Charlie Brewer and, before Clemson. So, I mean, hopefully it would be great if uh, Sam Hartman has things worked out so he can play by then, or, you know, hopefully Mitch Griffiths will play well for them uh, and get his start on Thursday night against VMI. You know, you know, everything we're going to play a game on college game day, Saturday, how exactly we're going to execute it. I don't know, but basically sort of a, is he still playing? If so, where did he, where did he (laughs) land, you know, among the quarterbacks? So there's yeah. one of those there's one of those guys in the Missouri Louisiana Tech game. You you know who's starting for Sonny Cumbie at Louisiana Tech, right? I do, and I I do because I because I, I I broke the story. It's the kid who has had uh, TCU in Georgia, right? Um, whose name um, um Matthew Downing. Downing. Matthew, Downing, yes, Matthew yeah. Downing. So he's a walk on at Georgia. Good for him, right? Yeah. Go make this under yourself. Went to TCU, believe he graduated from TCU. And then, you know, now he gets a chance. If I was a quarterback going to play like a fifth year and could go anywhere, go to play for Sonny Cumbie at Louisiana Tech. Like, what a blast. You're going to throw it 72 times a game. They have excellent, excellent receivers at Louisiana Tech. That's the the, the strongest room in their program. So uh, if I'm Eli Drinkwitz, I'm, uh, I got sweaty palms all day Thursday because that is not a pushover game. And that's like that they play, Louisiana Tech plays a style that really uh, that that really can you know can can, can cause you fits. Uh, I'm excited to see uh, Luther Burden, number one receiver recruit in the country, play for Missouri. Uh, he has been the buzz of camp there. They're going to get him the ball in a billion different ways, and that's like an exciting you know central tenant of Missouri's program going forward. Uh, Drinkwitz, I think, is one of the more creative play callers, really good at, you know, getting the ball in guys' hands. I'll be really it'll be really fun to see how they accentuate such a such a bright young talent there. Boy, I, I I'm telling you, I, I don't I don't have high hopes for the Tigers. Hmm, why? This year. I think schedule looks brutal. Uh let's let's wait and see about the quarterback. I was gonna bring up burden too, so I'm glad you did. Um I I I think the hill may be a little tough. I mean, they've got what they've got, Kansas State, who I'm really high on. I'm I'm on dying road, lousy yeah. to I'm dying lousy to pick them to win the Big 12, but I can't since they're going to Oklahoma and to Baylor. Um, How about Bear picking TCU? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I'm skept- I'm skeptical there. I'm yeah. I, I went with I, as odd as it is to say, I went with the safest option there and picked Baylor. So I did huh, the I did the is, anti up eleven yeah. onside kick. I just felt yeah. like Baylor was the was the fewest the fewest moving parts, you know. Yeah. And, and even they have a lot. You know, they have some stars to replace for sure. But I just yeah. I feel like they're really really stable. stable I right uh, I think if there's one player who is a high high end guy 
who's going to announce himself on like a higher level this year uh, to go on Bears pick. I think Quentin Johnston at TCU is going to have a monster season because they basically he's he's as talented as any receiver in the country, not named Jackson Smith and Jigba. Mm -hmm. And they went from playing like this ball control, Gary Patterson, a little Neanderthal on offense, and they're going to let it rip. Right. Like the and. I, I just have no doubt that Sonny Dykes is going to get this guy the ball in a million different ways. So I'm excited to watch Quentin Johnson um, this year. So I don't know if he can carry the mighty Horn frogs to the big 12 title as bear predicted, but I do think if there's one breakout guy, again, he's a known commodity scout says, you know, late first round pick type guy. I really think he could just have a monster season this year because of scheme change. Worth taking a flyer on uh, before we, before we bolt out of here, couple of quarterback announcements. We went through the Michigan thing for yep. sure, but uh, T.J. Finley at yep. Auburn, Haynes King at mm-hmm. Texas A&M, sort of holding off guys that were brought in that yep. were presumed uh, by those of us on the outside watching when you bring in a quarterback like Max Johnson from LSU or Zach Calzada, mm-hmm. who had some success and obviously against Alabama and a couple other games last year for A&M. You assume they might win the job, yet – Couple of guys who were already there stuck around and held on to their jobs at uh at least for now at uh, at Texas A and M and at Auburn. Yeah, I think for now is the key word there. I, I think by week eight, I'd be curious if both of them still have their jobs. Why? Well, I just think because, the, of, because of what you've seen up to this point. Well, yeah, I think TJ Finley is proven to be somewhat limited so far now there's he's got a long arc in his career but Mm -hmm. i really do think that there's uh the the flaws are the flaws there and uh that again their auburn quarterback room just isn't great right now unfortunately so um i really liked robbie ashford in high school um he played but i'm pretty sure he played at hoover i remember watching him on tv and was on the team with george pickens i think if my memory is serving me well and, you know, it didn't, he never really got it going at Oregon. And I know he played okay in the spring, but, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't come together for him uh, yet either at Auburn. Yeah. I, I wonder at AM if uh, Connor Wiegman, the five star true freshman from Cyprus, who they liked better than Quinn Ewers, because when Quinn Ewers was in the portal, AM was like, nope, we're good. We, we got Connor. We're good. Mm-hmm. So, I wonder if that talent, how long it may take. Now, obviously, Max Johnson, I think, is almost like a more – he's more proven commodity than anybody in that quarterback room, right? So I think it's – Jimbo's got some pretty fascinating bullets in the chamber there to, you know, to, to see who he's going to uh, – to see who he's going to run out. But don't underestimate the power of a five-star in-state quarterback. Like, that is something that – the fans, you know, if if they do struggle to move the ball, and in Haynes King, we don't really know what we don't know yet, right? Like he's just he's struggled with some injuries, and there there isn't a there isn't an in depth body of work. But uh, I'd expect those both those places to be shuffling some folks in and out this year. I would I do know this about Haynes King. He led his high school team to their first high school title in more than eighty years. Whew. You know who hasn't won a national championship in more than eighty years? Uh, Texas A&M. A&M. Yeah, it's almost been that long since they won a league title. I mean, not really, but it, it's no, been it's like been, since ninety, right? Something yeah, like that. it's been it's been a long time. It was a different league. I know that much. Yeah, and it wasn't recent in that league. <laughs> well, they they won they won the Big Twelve 
when they yes. beat Kansas State and knocked them out of the national yeah. championship. Is that 97, 8, 98, yeah. I should know that off the top of my head. But Sir Parker. Um, ah, yeah. there we go. With there the, we go. With the game winner and one that broke the Purple Power Cats hearts. Man, this is a week one. Nothing better than this. Really, ah. really fired up to get started because, you know, I, I think what what our goal should be on this podcast is not just have fun, have great conversation about college football. We should want to make this America's fastest growing and most popular, not only college football podcast, but sports podcast. And where else can you get Moonshine Mountain cookies, chemistry class analogies, and all kinds of insight and words of the day from Pete Thamel. Well, broadcaster trades too. Don't forget, you're not getting broadcaster, broadcaster trade talk you're not anywhere getting that else. Everywhere, kid. So, Reese, I wouldn't trade you. By the way, I don't know what Taylor thinks, but I wouldn't trade you for anything. All right, I want to be clear about that. Yeah, no, no, no Alabama LSU game, or, or it would would be worth <laughs> losing you. So, I want to be very clear about that. Three. Three and a half hours versus a lifetime. That's all I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Pete, go get them. Go break some stories. Earn your keep. Earn that big fat contract you got. Speaking of broadcaster trades. Ugh, yeah. Coming here. Yeah. We're, 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 we're trying. We're trying. All right, brother. All right. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. We'll, uh, right. we'll see you in Columbus. Look forward to it. Wish you could be with us in, uh, in Pittsburgh, we'll see in Columbus. That's I think I'll be, be standing great. outside the shoe, so I, I think you're going to kick to me at some point there. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a great rumor. experience. I'm sure you've been around, but I don't know if you've actually been in the midst of a college game day experience. You're, it's it's an event, yeah. man. You're going to love it. I mean, it. I've obviously been at a lot of games but, where game yeah. day has been, but yeah. like I have not actually been inside sort of the belly of the beast. So, uh, yeah, Je- Jess Sims and I are the rookies. We're ready to get uh, ready to get indoctrinated. A uh, few few extra rolls of the old deodorant on Saturday morning, I think, are going to be uh, coming my way here. It's, uh, it would be some nerves and some excitement, and it's probably going to be pretty hot. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be great. Wait, wait, do you see Herb Street and Pollock sweating gravy? Man, they, uh, <laughs> they, hey, <laughs> hey, they can pour it out, man. They can they can pour out the perspiration for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's about the this, only thing I could probably compete with them in is sweating. So we're, we're going to give them a run for their money. Certainly, athletically, I, I wouldn't give them much of a run. But uh, <laughs> we appreciate you listening. This is the ESPN College Game Day podcast. We're available three times a week. Ask you to get it wherever you like to download your podcast.